Hello and welcome back to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and strategies for coaching the mental game of softball. I'm Melanie Rushing and I'm joined today by Alicia Smith and a special guest to discuss coaching people, not players. Let's jump right in. Hello and welcome back to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. We've got an exciting guest here today. He is not only a softball coach and lover of culture and the mental game like us, but he is also now a published author. Please welcome from Lake Sumter Community College, Jay Miller. Welcome, Coach. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited. Well, we are going to start this a little differently than usual and just kind of frame it around your book. So please give us the background of what started you on this journey toward sharing your story with this book. Okay, so uh, the book is um, The Island, an unconventional way or uh, uh, approach to coaching people and not players. Uh, that's very important. We at Lake Sumter State College do things completely differently. We've had to do that because we're not um, scholarship the way a lot of the junior colleges are in the state of Florida. So we've had to go about things a little bit different. And I never thought I really did anything different or what other people would call weird until about, uh, I'd say about a year and a half, two years ago, people started asking me questions about how we were getting some of the kids that we were getting at our school, uh, some of the stuff that we were doing. Some of our kids were going back and telling their travel ball coaches uh, some things about our program. And they asked questions because it was different. And then I spoke uh, last year, last December at the Florida Athletic Coaches Association softball convention. And I had coaches coming up going, you should write a book. You need to write a book. You need to write all this down. I, I spoke on culture, everything like that. And I was like, man, that's that's kind of odd. And then finally, um, I have a, a six-month-old son. I, I think he's six months. If my wife is listening to this, I hope that's correct. But anyways, um, he was born in July. And uh, at eight days old, he eight days old, he was life flighted uh, to Children's Hospital down in Brandon, Florida. Uh, and while we were there for the week, everything turned out okay. But we were there for a week and I had players and, and coaches and other people that I've dealt with in our softball community, uh, emailing, calling, texting. And, and really, I just felt like that was our culture kind of paying it back and me trusting in what we'd been doing. And so I really just was like, you know what, that's it. I'm going to put this stuff down on paper because it's obviously working. And so that was the start of it. Coach, I, I don't think it's unconventional because I, I really resonated with everything that you, that you were fortunate. You were nice enough to send us a couple excerpts from your book. So we Mel and I were able to, to get a little bit of a preview. So reading a lot of what you do to me isn't unconventional because I believe firmly that, that the culture is the foundation, not only of the success of the program, but ultimately the success of the kids and the relationships that um, at Madawan, for example, that have really kind of been built over time. Um, to me, I call it the program, right? I always call our team or our, our, our program at Mad One's the program. So it involves every player that's ever come through, every coach, every parent. Yeah. And I think that that is so, it's bigger than a community to me. And I think when you can, when I think it's a gift that you have that you're able to create that culture and, and to have those strong, strong relationships with those players because some of the things that you had written about some of your players, which I know that, you know, you're going to get to soon was just, almost made me cry just because of the, the, how much you care for those kids. Um, and I really applaud you for putting this down because I've been asked in the past, how do you do it? 
and I, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> if I, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, yeah. it comes second nature, but it's like, I don't know. I don't know how I could put it in a book. So I, I applaud you for being able to put it down. But one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was one of the excerpts you talked about creating that safe place for players. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I thought that was really interesting on, on how you kind of navigate that. Okay. So it's, it starts with recruiting. It really does. Uh, when I first got in there, I, I was so far behind on recruiting and, you know, just a little bit of background about Lake Sumter is we took over a program that averaged 11 wins a year and that's out of 60 games. And that average of 11 wins a year happened for a decade. So we were stepping into, uh, um, uh, uh, on-field problem, but really once my first year ended, it was a culture problem and we had to shift the culture and it started with recruiting, recruiting people over players, um, which I first heard from Woody Hayes, a uh, legendary coach at Ohio State, that you always take the person over the player and, and Herb Brooks, uh, you know him from Miracle, he, he echoes the same, the same sentiments. And so it starts with not even talking about softball. Talk about the person. Talk about what do your parents do? Um, do you feel comfortable being away from home? Do you want to live at home? Do you want to live in the dorms? What is your plan for after college? And it really starts with that. And I like to tell people, um, you know, we call ourselves the island of misfit toys because early on we got these kids that, to be honest, nobody wanted. Uh, the year we had our first winning record, uh, in 2018, the previous time they had a winning record was in 1999. So almost 20 years uh, in that gap. And and right before we went into one of our final games, I said, how many of you had scholarship offers to other schools? Only three of my nine starters raised their hand. So we we found these kids that were overlooked, undervalued, and just like on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, were left on this island you know, by themselves. And so what we tell them in, in the recruiting process where it all starts is you're, you're on the island with us and we've got two years to build a boat. And that boat's got to be strong enough to get off the island, take you wherever you're going to go. It, there's rough seas. It's got to be strong enough. And it's, it's got to be all you and me building this boat. And it's got to be good enough to get you back and tell me how successful you are. And so, and that starts with the person, not the player. That is awesome. And I love that. And I think we, we've seen the opposite effect too. When you choose the player over the person, it Correct. always backfires, right? Yes. <laughs> so what are some specific things that you look for or types of conversations you have when kids start to show interest? You think like, okay, they fit like what I need on my team. What are some of the things that help you know, like, yeah, she's going to fit into our culture. One of the first things I do is I, I have I tell them straight up front um, in the recruiting process. If you don't want to come here, just tell me. Uh, no hard feelings. I'll help you go somewhere else. I will, you know, it, it, you've got to want to be at Lake Sumter for it to benefit you. And then I tell them, you know, there, there's four things that we value in our program. And it starts with your education. Education is number one. And then after that, it's family which for us family stands for forget about me. I love you. And that's our culture. So you just throw out that previously you thought you were number one. My stats are most important. No, because I'll be honest with you. I I tell our kids, I really don't care. I really don't care if you're this, you're that. It's, are you making people better? Because if you're not, then nothing else really matters. You can hit 
15 home runs, drive in 60 RBIs, and we'll finish dead last in the conference because you didn't bring anybody along with you. Uh, and then third, it's your growth as a young adult. We like to call our freshmen baby giraffes. And you, if you've ever seen a baby giraffe try to stand up and they're just fumbling all over and, and they can't get their feet under them, and they're, that's what a freshman in college looks like. So we get to help them the first time they've ever been away from mom and dad for an extended period of time. You know, they've got to learn to eat when they want. They've got to learn to study, uh, sleep when they schedule their classes. Then they've got to juggle practice, weightlifting, conditioning, study table, all that. And so that's a big part of it. And then the fourth and final thing that's important to us is winning. And winning is number four for a reason. Uh, if we do one, two, and three on the list, then we're going to win. Uh, if we miss one, two, or three, we're not going to win. So that's why winning is fourth for us. But I've had conversations in my office with recruits, and I, I've looked at them, and I think I have lost recruits for this. And I say, if you just want to go uh, go to college and win a bunch of games, uh, maybe go to the state tournament every every year you're there, shot at the World Series, that's what's most important to you. Don't come here because that's not what's most important to us. And I think that really shocks people. That shocks parents when I say that. And But it's the truth. And, and it starts with honesty. And if they know really what they're getting into, um, they'll buy in. If they think they're just coming to play college softball to hit some balls, pitch some balls, and win some games, that's not what we're about here. Um, I, I, real quick, in 2017 and this year, 2018, uh, my recruits for those two years, my number one recruit in the 2017 class and the 2018 class, both went to different schools. And after the first year, both transferred back to me um, because of, I believe, our culture and what we stand for and what we value. So that's really how we, we start forming our bonds with our kids. Coach, can you talk about maybe when you had that moment of realization that the culture was really, truly, for lack of a better word, working and was truly embedded into your program because I can, for example, I will share one quick story with you from, from my program. When I, I watch my kids doing conditioning uh, from a distance or pop in sometimes when they're doing the off-season conditioning and they don't know I'm coming. And the moment I saw some of the freshmen behind, the seniors were done with their run on the track and there's a few kids that were straggling behind and those seniors went and ran with them to help them finish and encourage them. You know, mm-hmm. and that was kind of like one of those aha moments for me that the culture is really embedded into everything that we do. So do you have an example or one of those aha moments when you're like, this is really, really cool? Yeah, I've actually, um, I've got two and they happened in the same year, which is ironic. Uh, 2018, the year we, we broke the 30 win barrier for the first time in school history, um, I remember the very first week we were on campus, I had two um, apartments that weren't ready. Um, they couldn't get them into the apartment soon enough. They were going to be out of an apartment for at least uh, a week to 10 days. Before I could even do anything to help them, one of my uh, sophomores texted me and said, Coach, we got it taken care of. We've got each of these kids in, in somebody else's apartment. We've got blow-up beds on the way. Uh, everything's taken care of. Everybody's going to be here uh, later today for our orientation, which was that day. And I'm going, I didn't even have to lift a finger, man. That's incredible. These kids had been, had been taught that if you're not doing something for someone else, you're wasting your time, which, you know, is a famous Roberto uh, Clemente quote, but it's true. And we live that. And then later that year, um, 
and and it's a big chapter in the book, so I don't really want to spoil it. But we get down to our our final games of the year, and it's whether or not we're gonna, um, you know, go ahead and and make the conference tournament and have this record breaking season. And and all of a sudden we get beat twelve to one in like the first game of a doubleheader. And there's some major circumstances surrounding that that I, I'll leave out. Let you read in the book. But um, before I could even talk in between the doubleheader, one of my sophomores, and I don't even know who it is to this day, I couldn't tell you, just steps up in the middle of the circle and said, that's not us, girls, that's not us. And, and that's not okay. And how we just performed, are we going to sit here and hang our heads and just went on and on for like five minutes? And I'm just like, I don't even have to talk. You just, you just said everything I was even thinking, you know, as, as, a, as a coach and, and it, it means more when you hear it from your teammates. It really does. And so those are two points, you know, my third year, both of those happened. And I was just like, wow, wow. We, we've, we've come a long way. Yes. Those, yeah. Hands down. Those are definitely good signs that, yep, we are on track. We are good to go. Yeah. And I told you, it's funny how it seems to be that third year. I understand you there. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, finally, ah, working on this forever. Um, What were some things along the way that helped you get to that point? Some of the bumps in the road that inevitably helped the girls learn that culture? Because you're also in a unique position where you cycle three or girls, half your team usually every other year, right? Correct. So how... Like what things happened, especially the first and second year that helped the girls realize like, no, this is, we want to be family. We want to buy in. We want this instead of what just happened. Any oops stories that help them figure it out? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to really police myself on this. Oh man. Um, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> listen, I had to explain what a felony was my first year there. So, oh, dear. <laughs> so I'm going, uh, but I will say this, uh, um, to shorten everything up, uh, we removed eight people the first two years we were there. Uh, neither one of them, not one of them was an easy decision. Not one of them was taken lightly, but it was people who weren't buying into our culture. And I will say we don't just, you know, uh, typically kick people to the curb. Uh, I did, was able to uh, give some of them some references. They caught on on other programs and you know, that, that was good for them. And I wish them the best of luck. It's just, we, they weren't buying into what we were doing. And, and that was that. Uh, so it was a very bumpy two years. Um, some, you know, my athletic trainer likes to tell me, you know, I took four hard chances on girls that probably shouldn't have gotten another chance. And I was three for four. And she goes, that's pretty good stats in your sport. And I said, yeah, but that number, that one was, was the one that keeps me up at night. So, um, you know, it's, and some of the girls, I'll tell you, they don't understand why I take things so personally when things happen, not even wins and losses could care less, but when, when negative things happen, I mean, we've all been around college athletes and and everything like that, but, um, they're like, why do you take it so personally? I said, cause I'm not your ordinary coach. I'm going to dive into your life. I'm going to be there. Uh, you know, like this morning I texted my girls and said, Hey, just let you all know, I miss you. That is all. Carry on. Have a nice day. You know, that kind of stuff. So I, I'm I'm going to be there beyond the X's and O's, and that's what's important. So I love that. I think one follow-up to that is I just want to make sure everybody knows I do this too. I 
always go towards like the highlights and <laughs> we do this, I think as humans, but I think it's really important to know that like you battled through those two years with all of this in the back of your mind, the whole time, like you knew you loved the girls, you knew you were building a family, you knew it was going to work. You knew you had to get through those were, I'm sure were really tough conversations. No yeah. one ever wants to cut. Like when I took over a team, I never felt like, Oh, I got to, wait this many years to get my girls in. Like, no, they're all automatically your girls. Mm-hmm, I don't absolutely. care what people say. <laughs> so yeah. to make those decisions must have been difficult, but props to you for making it through. And yay, your three proved you to be right. <laughs> Correct. And I give a lot of, um, you know, a lot of thanks and props to my athletic director. That first year, um, we had won like 10 games and he called me into his office and I'm like, man, should I start packing up my stuff now or wait five <laughs> minutes? And, and he goes, he goes, Hey man, I just want to tell you, you don't see it because you're looking at wins and losses right now. He goes, but this is a different team. This is a different program. Keep going. He goes, don't, don't jump the ship. Don't bail out on me. He goes, you're doing great. He goes, I see it. And he was the first one to tell me, you know, like at this school, you're not going to get graded on wins and losses. It's about how your program is. And it took me, it really took me uh, some, some tough bumps in the road and getting, um, you know, like-minded recruits in there, such as myself, uh, to really see the turnaround. But, you know, it, it, was, it was awesome. And I give him a lot of credit for, for you know, keeping, keep pushing me on there in the early days. I think it's always really, really special to have someone that, that believes in you and can kind of, show you that they believe in you before you believe in yourself, so to speak. I think that that's as a coach that we see that in our players all the time, right? We see it. We see that in our kids and we believe in them before they believe in themselves. But when it's from the coach's standpoint, sometimes we feel like we are on our own Island, but like in a negative way, right? Because we're all by ourselves and it's awesome to have the backing and support of somebody, somebody like that. Um, Coach, can you talk a little bit more about your coaching staff and how you've integrated them into the culture as well? Okay. Yeah. So I, I am the only full-time employee, right? So it's just me. Uh, my first assistant coach was my father, uh, which is awesome because that brings like 30, 35 years of experience to the program right off the bat. Um, I had a former player that was there jump on board. And then um, I've added, I had a pitching coach, uh, Nikki Sauerbrey was there with me uh, for three years. And I just brought on another pitching coach this year. And the number one thing I tell them is, here's my philosophy. Um, you can argue with me all you want in this office and you can, you can disagree with me. You can tell me I'm wrong. As long as when we step out of this office, you've got my back. That's all I care about. And so that's been a big um, thing that the girls see. So the girls see that we don't argue in front of each other. Uh, you know, my, my dad and I, we, we have our father son little spats, but uh, the girls also know that, that's a father and a son type thing. And, and normally, you know, no issues there. And, and, but uh, you know, my, my pitching coach now is 24 years old and, and she's young and she's integrating into being in charge of an entire pitching staff. And I said, I, I sought you out. I wanted you to be my pitching coach. Here's my pitching staff. I trust you. And so that's the biggest thing. And the biggest thing you can do with a coaching staff is trust. They have to trust you. You have to trust them. My father is as old school as they come. I mean, real quick story. I can remember being in like the second grade playing third base, little league. 
and uh, there was one out, ball hit to me, and I threw the runner out at first, and there was already a runner at first. I should have gotten the double play. You know, I was in the second grade, man. What, what are you going to do? Well, I can remember my first butt chewing from my father and wiping Copenhagen dip spit off the side of my face, all right, and, which is terrifying, right? So I didn't really respond to yelling. So our coaches, I'm like, don't yell at them. If it, if it gets to the point of yelling, I'll take care of it. So I tell my assistants, talk to them. If someone makes an error, you don't yell at them because I guarantee you they didn't want to make that error. I didn't finish my career with a thousand point percentage fielding percentage. So I don't expect them to. So we really eliminate yelling for anything on field. Um, off field issues are a different story. And, and, you know, that is what it is. And, and even then I, I hate yelling. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. So that's really the difference that our coaching staff has brought in um, that I'd say would differ from other programs. That's huge. And I think the biggest thing you said there was that you're a united front from the team because everyone feels it, right? Yeah. Everyone notices you're not, you're not going to hide anything. So what are some of the things that you do to help maintain that trust, especially with, coaches who have they are coming from other things i'm sure your dad's got his own stuff going on before practice a 24 year old probably has another job to help pay for things how do you keep that trust built up in the communication especially when typically you probably have what five minutes before warm-up start oh not not even that um you know um when Nikki was there and my father, they both were high school teachers. Teachers, So they got out at 2.20. We started practice at 2.30 to get things in. Um, we are constantly emailing. When they were both in my program, I was emailing them. Every word of every conversation I had, they knew about it. Um, they knew what to expect when practice was coming. If I say, you know, my father was in charge of the catchers. If I said, hey, so-and-so came in, they had a rough day today. Uh, things aren't going well at home. Maybe you should try a little extra encouragement today. Maybe not put her nose to the grindstone so hard if she, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's really important. Communication over everything is what I tell our coaches. Uh, we have these crazy communication practices and, you know, I'm not, I'm, the book is not about drills and it's not about, you know, to improve, but I like to do wacky stuff. Uh, so what I do is I turn our speakers on basically full blast with like hip hop music and it blasts over our, our uh, field there. And then I bring the one singular like boombox speaker out, the Bluetooth one, and I set it up right behind the pitcher and I blare Metallica music. Um, and so from there, it's a regular game. I'm coaching third, my other coach is coaching first, and we have to communicate over top of the music. And it's all kinds of different music. If you're in the outfield, all you hear is the hip hop. If you're in the infield, all you hear is the Metallica. And I can't believe our pitchers you know, haven't sued me for their ears going bad, but they haven't because they're great kids and everything like that. But, you know, those are the kinds of things we talk about communicating all the time. And that's, that's just as embedded in your culture. I think that all the trust and everything is because the communication on the field clearly is important as supple coaches yes. know that. But I think when you, when you really enforce that and really make that a priority and you do things like that, it's also just a part of the culture off the field that really the communication off the field is critical. Not like you mentioned with your coaching staff, but with your kids. And, and I think that helps build trust when you, when you give them that, that oh, yeah. part well, of the culture is so important. We also, uh, one thing I established right when I got 
into the uh, office was 24 seven open door policy. Uh, my girls can come see me and talk to me about anything. Doesn't have to be softball related. Most of the time it's not softball related. Um, they can, they can call me, they can text me. All I do is tell them after seven o'clock, you have to text me before you call me unless it's an emergency. And that really has eliminated 99% of issues that I see most programs come across. You know, I have an open door communication policy. So there's no reason that parents should be contacting me because your child hasn't come and contacted me first. I knock on wood right now. I have not had a parent issue and in, in this is being my fifth year because there's open lines of communication that if one of my players isn't really a participating in that, that's on them. And they know that. So if there's any concerns whatsoever, the girls know they can come talk to me. And that's, that's been huge. Not only for like, uh, very rarely do I have someone come in talking about playing time. Why am I not doing this, not doing that. And I'll be really upfront and honest with them. And there's a chapter about that in the book, but it's the girls who come in and go, coach, uh, so-and-so just got diagnosed with cancer in my family. And, uh, you know, I had one girl one time that um, something happened at our home and she didn't tell her parents. And she told me when she got back to school after Christmas break. And it's like, those lines of communication have been open. So that allows them to feel safe, to feel comfortable. And they can talk to me about anything and everything. So it, that's, that's been a, I think, a game changer in what we do. I've had many conversations on my front porch with players who have nothing to do with softball. We, I have two chairs out on the front porch, you know, and I think that that's yep. just, those are those chairs that when they come over and say, hey, coach, I need to talk, that's where we sit and we talk for hours. And I think that having somebody that they can trust and communicate with, coach, is just absolutely amazing, and I applaud you for that. And I think that uh, above anything else, the success will come, the wins will come, but above anything else, I think that – that just is, it's an awesome, you're an awesome human being. So thank you for what you do. Well, thank you very much. That's, that's good to hear. <laughs> Before you go on, I'm going to shout out both of you guys on this one, because anybody can say it's an open door policy. It's another thing to show that it's an open yeah. door policy, right? Yeah. Like I told my girls it was open door. They never came in and talked to me because I was more focused on the X's and O's, the planning, the all the administrative stuff, this and that. So what do they do when they come in? They say, oh, God, coach is stressed. Maybe she doesn't want to talk to me. Whatever they were thinking in their head, it didn't create that atmosphere of like, hey, how are you? Come on in. So I think whatever you guys are doing, it's also creating a welcoming atmosphere, like mm -hmm. no judgment, like whatever you tell me stays here. It's safe and I've got your back. So double props to both of you for that. <laughs> you have to create that environment too, not just say like, yeah, tell me whatever. <laughs> yes. Um, I can tell you one big step we take at the very beginning um, of the fall, like first week in there, I, we have classroom, what I call classroom practices the first week uh, we're in the classroom. I, I established girls. I don't care what you do on this field for the next two years. I really don't care. I don't care if we win a national championship. Your success after you leave here is what is most important. And so once we get through that and they understand that they're not um, just a number on the back of a jersey, they really kind of accept and buy into you know all that kind of stuff with our culture. And then another thing that we do is I make them come in and see me um, at least 
uh, let's see, 15 minutes a time um, over the span of a week or so. Coach, is there anything else that you'd like to, you know, share about your team, share about your experience, share about your culture uh, or, or your book that you'd like for audience to, to hear? Um, you know, the, the biggest thing is that I have learned early on is trust yourself. Uh, the first couple of years in as a college head coach, I was watching what other people did. Now it's okay to pick up on a couple of things, but I'm going, oh, we don't do that. We don't do this. We don't do that. And I got caught up in the X's and O's and, and everything that was happening on the field and kind of ignored what was happening off the field. And we really hit our stride. Excuse me. When I found that on off the field culture, and then it starts with the people you bring in and it doesn't matter if nobody else recruits them. We had a kid come through our program that, played high school softball and didn't play on our high school softball team. They didn't think she was good enough. And now that team didn't win a state championship or anything crazy like that. And uh, we followed her and kind of as a favor to, to uh, a friend of ours, we took her as a bullpen catcher and she ended up starting two years behind the plate for us and went on to play at a four-year school. So it's, it's about trusting your own self. Don't worry about what other people are doing. And that's one of the best things about being a head coach is anything you want to do, anything you want to try, anything you want to say, hey, I think this is going to work, uh, you get to try it. And we take days off of practice on the field to do in-classroom stuff. Every year on September 10th, we watch or do something uh, in 9-11 Remembrance because the kids we're getting now were born after it happened. They have no idea. I watched it live. You, I'm sure you two watched it live. And so those teachable moments that go beyond softball that I don't know if a lot of other programs do, but it doesn't matter because I think it's the right thing to do. So just trust yourself. I, that's the best advice I can give to anybody in this profession, at least when they're starting out. I love that, especially for a show like ours where we share a bunch of great ideas, like so many wonderful people have come through our show and given great advice, but then you still got to go back to your team and pick and choose what works for what you believe will help them. Yep. Absolutely. Now, as far as the book goes, um, as, as of this recording, you know, my wife still doesn't even know I wrote it. Um, and I'm excited because, you know, she's going to get that on Christmas, but, um, the book is just, it's my experiences as a player, as a coach, uh, as a, as a sports information director, uh, as a as a little brother, even in parts of the book, that are real life experiences that I want other coaches to take away and see how I've adopted that, how our program has adopted that um, into changing lives, and and that's really the important thing. Um, it's kind of quirky, it's kind of funny, um, you know. It's one of those you're gonna laugh, you're gonna cry, you're gonna you're gonna think, oh man, that's a great idea, or or you might even think that's who does that, which is okay uh, because that's how I live my life. So, you know, that's what the book's about. And we were lucky enough to get a sneak peek and yeah, laughing and crying within the sneak peek. You (laughs) are correct. (laughs) And thank you for sharing that with us, coach. I think um, I'm really excited to read the book and I'm, I'm grateful that you, you did write it. Um, Even though you say it's unconventional, I believe fully in it. Uh, It's the same way I coach, and I I really appreciate you putting it it down for other people to to read so you can share with with the world. So thank you for for doing that. No problem. It was was a a lot of fun, 
and it was a lot of uh, looking myself in the mirror over seven several months. Oh yeah, we get that. <laughs> <laughs> And that is a wrap for today. To check out Coach Miller's book, we link to it on our website at mentalsweetspot.com forward slash coach dash people. Or you can search it on Amazon. The title again is The Island, an unconventional way of coaching people, not players. If this episode resonated with you and you too want to build a culture that's strong like Coach Miller's, we'd love to invite you to check out our new journal as well. Win, Fail, Learn is a simple weekly team journal to help your players build their confidence, develop a growth mindset, and become a team that feels like family in just two pages a week. To learn more and grab your copy, head to mentalsweetspot.com forward slash journal. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you next week with another episode. Have a good one.